Hey guys, this is the Real Estate Podcast. It's yours truly, your host, Matt Teifke. Real quick, before we get in today's episode, I want to ask you for a big favor. If you haven't subscribed already, please do. It will really help this podcast grow and reach more people looking to learn about entrepreneurship and real estate and share it with one of your friends. Thanks. Now let's get to today's episode. I was kind of mentored by people who were in the wake of the Great Recession where there were so many coaches that had never coached, never done anything besides coached real estate. And they hadn't really done a lot of real estate deals. And so all the gurus of 2006 and seven, a lot of them weren't even closing transactions. So because of that, there's been this like pushback against the coaching side of the business, which I totally get and is warranted. And by the way, was part of that pushback. But that mindset slowed me down tremendously. This is The Real Estate Podcast, a show by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let's hear from our host, Matt Teifke and Alex Kaufman. All right, everybody. We got Hunter Thompson here. This is The Real Estate Podcast. And Hunter, appreciate you, man. You've got a lot going on. Uh, Amazing book out, number one, uh, seller on real estate sales side. You've raised a ton of capital, got your own podcast. You've been doing things for quite a while now. So I appreciate you taking some time and uh, would love to just dive right in, man. Um, kind of hear about yourself and your background and I'll just kind of pepper you with questions and we'll just try to provide value to people. Sure. Happy to do it. So, um, and I appreciate the opportunity. So, you know, I got started in the space about 10 years ago and it was in the wake of the great recession. And, you know, I was very insulated from that risk at the time because I was just a college kid just recently graduated. And so it's very easy to say, you know, buy when blood is in the streets. Most of the time when there's blood in the streets, you yourself are bleeding in the streets. Right. So I was one of those rare situations where, you know, I got out of college, tried to get a job like a lot of us did. The job market had completely dried up but there was an opportunity to invest in probably the greatest vehicle for wealth creation in the history of the United States um, in terms of the predictability of outcome. And that's real estate, especially at deflated values. So I very quickly kind of recognized I wanted to be in that space and then started networking, creating relationships with people that had been very successful in the space. And because of what had happened in the market, especially in California, so many people had gotten wiped out that the only people that were still standing were those that were pursuing very sophisticated, savvy, kind of uh, not your typical fix and flip type of strategies, but you know, 15 to $50 million properties. And a lot of people forget that the default rate on 150 unit plus agency financed multifamily, for example, was 1.5% during 2008, nine and 10. So that was really how I got started in the real estate sector was finding operators that focused on that and investing passively in them. And, you know, over the last 10 years, built the business around that. It sounds like it can't be a business, just investing passively, but I built the business around conducting due diligence, creating relationships with operating partners. And, and like you said, now we've raised close to $55 million uh, from accredited investors in a variety of niches. So that's a little bit of my background. That's great, man. And I'm a big uh, believer in the networking game and just getting out there and following some simple concepts of helping people out, adding value, staying in touch. And I'm curious your approach when you said you started networking and meeting these guys. Um, what, how did you approach that and what made you 
think that that's a good way to go about things. Um, and then I definitely understand like the value of understanding these operators and raising capital because they're, everyone's raising money. Everyone's syndicating deals. Right. Um, but not everyone uh, fully understands like what they're doing and how they're doing and why they're doing it. And so something like that you do uh, provides tremendous value. But anyways, back to the networking, like what was that uh, approach and way that you viewed going about that? So it's interesting because it's changed so much since I started in the space, you know, going back to 2010 or 11, this is before the jobs act. So it was actually not even legal to talk about real estate on the internet with any degree of specificity. People forget that you couldn't even publicly advertise a deal until 2013 or so. And even then most operators didn't do it because they didn't really think that that regulation would change much. Turns out they were wrong and some regulations that have changed in the popularity of building relationships over the internet, especially as more and more millennials become accredited investors, it has opened up the floodgates to build legitimate, authentic, meaningful, impactful relationships over virtual events, Skype, Zoom, et cetera. But going back to when I got started, there was a lot of in-person events, you know, typical quote networking events. You'd pay five to $20 and you'd show up. Most of the time it was a pitch, by the way, but I kind of found a, a niche within that networking sector, which was kind of a no sales pitch type of environment as a counter to a lot of those things. Um, a group called For Investors by Investors, which was founded by Jeremy Roll. And that's a, a very influential person in my career. And so the whole thing there was, look, your net worth is directly tied to your network. So the more people you know, the more successful you're going to be. Um, that's a really simple calculation. It rhymes, so people say it a lot. But really what I've come to find is that if you can avoid losing money in this game of real estate, you're going to have a pretty good time. But one bad time can like wipe out that potential. And yeah. the thing about your network is that those friends, those contacts, those resources, those service providers, those people solve problems that result in you losing money. So if you can have a solution, if you can have a lender, if you can have a buyer, if you can have a rehabber, if you can have another investor, anytime something goes wrong, if you have a solution based on your network, the likelihood of losing capital in this space is drastically reduced. Yeah. By the way, not to go on a tangent, but that also impacts my investment strategy because you can find things like, oh, there's a 12% cap rate, 45 minutes outside of this tiny little market. Well, sure. But you may not have any friends when something goes wrong, right? So your investment strategy needs to keep that in mind as well in terms of how many people can you rely on when something's going wrong? How many softwares are going to be there? How many lenders are in the market? How many buyers are in the market? Um, these types of things. So um, the network component was really important. I'll be honest with you. I don't really like going to live events. I never really liked it. And so I wrote about it in my book because I had to kind of gamify my experience with networking. Mm. The way that I did this was I said, look, I'm making a mistake earlier in my career that thinking paying $20 for a networking fee, oh, it's only $20. So I only need to get $20 of value. This is a very potentially lucrative space. And so if I started thinking, wait a minute, I need to be getting at least $2,000 worth of value, or if it's not worth my time at all. Mm -hmm. And so looking at it through that lens, I started to think, what books could someone tell me to read that I might get $2,000 worth of value? What contact? What strategy, what economic update can I learn? And I went into those networking events with a very different demand 
of my time. And by the way, and this is not just to brag, but I'm just trying to like, you know, set the stage, you know, I would never go to a networking event now that I thought was only going to give me $2,000 worth of value. You know, I used to do consulting calls for a thousand dollars an hour and I don't do them anymore because it's not worth my time. So like, you've got to work your way up the, up the ladder, but the only way to do this is realize what is on the table. There's a reason that so much generational wealth is created in real estate. But if you're playing small thinking, oh, it's only $5, who cares if it's actually good value? Wrong. You would be better sitting at home quietly thinking about some big picture strategies that could shake your business to the next level. So I know that was a bit of a rant to start this no, conversation, no. but just something I'm really passionate about. I love it, man. I mean, it's a lot of these things that, that I believe in. And I have these little statements I come up with from time to time, but like a lot of the, like a couple of things that came to mind. One was uh, what I, what I say is staying power. If you have the ability to stay in the real estate business, and this is just for me, um, cause I've been full time. And I understand people do it part-time on the passive side, but it's like, if you can stay in the business, there's always something big that's out there, but you yes. got to, and you got to set yourself up where you have some kind of capacity for me for a while it was property management. I had steady income. So it let me stay in the game, see things. And there's a big deal around the corner. Um, and, and back to what you said about it being predictable. It's like the way I view real estate is if you know what you're doing, and you do all the right, you know, inspections and have a backup plan, everything that you mentioned, to me, it, it seems very hard to go wrong. And granted, I've been doing this for 13 years and started in 2011. So the market's been hot ever since. So I, I you know, take that with a grain of salt. I'm not saying like, it's always easy. But if you kind of know what you're doing, and you have those partners and backup plans, it does seem and that's probably what you alluded to, as far as returns and very predictable. Um, so I agree with you 100%. And then back to the other thing was like, no such thing as problems. There's only solutions, right? And so taking that risk, jumping in and having those partners, that's been for me, tremendous value. Uh, so I, I get it, man. It resonates with me. I 100% hear it. And I love everything you're saying. It's fascinating when you kind of figure that out. Um, and, you know, I deal with this because I'm trying to network and meet people. And I'm kind of hyper-focused on Austin. And I, I meet the, I'm like, hey, I want to meet you. I want to like truly have no sales pitch. I want to figure out how I can help you and add value. And they're like, we're both realtors. Why, why are we going to meet? And I'm like, God, like you, you just, you just totally don't get it. Like real being a realtor is a tiny aspect. Like we, let's go buy some deals together. Represent me. Let's partner this and that. And I think once you get it and you understand the long game and you get those network and those people, the sky's the limit with real estate. Yeah, I completely agree. And especially with realtors. So, you know, I tend to be kind of, you know, our entire business is set up digitally and is completely remote. So I tend to kind of, you know, I'll go two weeks without moving my car. You know what I mean? But like, if you're a realtor in the space, I know the last couple of years have been really difficult for you because a big piece of your business is what you just outlined, you know, going to lunches, you got to be the icon of your city. And by the way, Austin is a great icon, a city to be an icon in, but man, and by the way, that doesn't mean you have to be the only icon, but you have to be the icon in your client's mind. The first person they think of whenever someone says they're selling a house or buying a house or anything like that. And the only way to do that takes time. You have to do some things that are not scalable, right? So um, you frequently hear people in business books talk about how like scalability should be your number one focus. I, I like that as a lens through which to view your business. But 
a couple of key relationships can drastically change the scalability of your business. So sometimes you have to go out of balance to curate and procure those types of relationships. And then all of a sudden you can add a zero or multiple zeros to your potential income. So it's a balancing act. It's an art and a science. Um, Me personally, I have left quite a bit of money on the table not pursuing those things. But um, I don't know what the net result is. It's just a personality thing. But if, man, if you're a realtor and you're listening to this, you've got to do some things that are not super scalable to get that type of uh, top of mind relationship with your client base. Yeah. And for example, like this is the thing that bothers me, which I try to open up with realtors. Like there's a lot more out there, right? Like um, if you're selling your client's house and they don't really know what to do with the money. Well, if you know about Hunter Thompson raising capital for syndication deals, maybe you necessarily don't make money off that. Maybe you do, but you're providing your client a really good value and you've got to understand the bigger picture. You're not just helping them buy and sell, like help them with a lot of other things within real estate, like be a true professional. And it, it's very interesting to me. Like I, I often wonder like, why is it that, and this is just my guess, but like 90% of realtors don't understand uh, wholesaling. They don't understand syndications. Like you can't be a, a great, you know, real estate professional if you don't know these things. They don't even, you know, they don't know what hard money is. And I just feel like traditional brokerages uh, haven't opened that mold for them. But there's this new space where there's like this entrepreneurial agent. Come, come that's our big focus. Like come to TRE, come do it all. Like do some syndications with Hunter, flip a house, own a house, you know, help represent a client, this and that. And it's just, it, there's just so much more out there that I think people really want when they get into real estate, they want to know about the stuff that you're doing, but then they get trapped into this model where it's like, no, don't think about that other stuff. Or it seems like people think too big, too fast, and they don't work on those building blocks to actually be bringing any value. Like everyone's like, I want to be a millionaire. I want to do this and that, but they don't even, they're not even like, they don't even understand real estate. They don't even have any true value but they're trying to like jump to these huge deals and like back to that staying power. Like you got to look at this in my opinion as a 30 year game, a 50 year game, which is beautiful about what you do, right? Like you're raising capital, you're getting successful returns. And then that's the other thing. Real estate just snowballs. Like if you're doing it right, almost in every facet, every year, things just get better. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, especially if you supplement that with some kind of, online presence. So that's what a lot of my book is about. And by the way, I should give a pitch for the book because it's basically $8. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. So for those that are listening, he's holding it up. So the book is called Raising Capital for Real Estate and you can get it at raisingcapitalforrealestate.com and it's just $7.97 or something. You just pay for the shipping. The book already exists in physical reality. You just got to buy it. Uh, And trust me, I want to do it. And I'll lose money for each person that buys it, but it's totally fine with me because I know that for one out of every five people that buy the book, they're going to read it and it really can change their life. You know, I can have some ultra high buy-in clients by just getting this book into as many people's hands as possible. So yeah, raisingcapitalforrealestate.com. But one of the things I, I talk about in the book is some of the strategies that I use to kind of develop a brand online. And these are things that can be done in all verticals, not just real estate, but like, I'll give you an example. Um, Everyone should have an ebook, you know, regardless of what niche you're in, they're just so scalable. It's such a great lead magnet, meaning someone will exchange their email address for your 
piece of content. And then those that read it, you can kind of nurture them in such a way that's going to make them much more likely to do business with you, but also educated on whatever you're talking to them about. So it saves you a lot of time. You don't have to do a lot of really one-on-one -on -one calls with cold leads. So the people that actually read the book, that's going to make them a lot warmer, if not hot. So like taking the time to write down some around 5,000 to 10,000 words in whatever niche you have is a really good exercise. And you'll find that even just going through the process of writing out your ideas, codifying them in that manner, that alone will increase your close ratio of whatever you're doing. Yeah. Because you're just gonna be so much more confident being able to communicate with your potential leads. Um, another piece of this is building out like a pretty robust online infrastructure or presence with educational content. So something I talk about in the book again is, you know, blocking out an hour and a half and writing down 100, 100, 100 different topics that you could potentially discuss on your blog or website. This episode is brought to you by Housemax Funding. Housemax is one of the fastest growing hard money lenders in America, specializing in loans that provide you the cash needed to fund flips, buy and holds, and ground up construction projects. Housemax gives you the ability to compete with all cash buyers and increase your velocity by closing in seven to 10 business days. If you're looking for cheap hard money and a relentless originator who will make sure your deal gets funded, call or text Bryce Tennyson today. 512-627-6192. Bryce is a great friend of ours. He actually funds all of our hard money uh, loans and uh, he'll get the job done for you. Uh, so make sure you give him a call. Back to the episode. And so for me, it's things like the, the difference between, or I guess I should say the relationship between interest rates and cap rates. It's not what you think. Um, those types of things. Or you could say something like, is, re is self-storage actually recession resistant? Is the mobile home park business positioned for a swing in cap rates? I mean, there's three right there. So you only have to come up with 97 more. You know what I mean? So just taking that time to block out that in stream of consciousness, 100 different topics out, and then going back and ranking them on a scale of one to 10 in terms of how applicable they are to your business. This is such a powerful tool. And the, the best part about it is that procrastination is kind of the enemy of making money and speed is like the other end of that spectrum. So a lot of people get caught up thinking of the perfect article topic. And if you know that you're going to write a hundred, it's okay that some of them are going to be trash. So just knowing that takes all the pressure off stream of consciousness, a hundred of them, then rank them in a scale of one to 10 and write an article about the top 10. Yeah. That it. takes probably four days to do or so. And you can have a permanent online presence so that the next time someone comes to your website, they can go all the way down the rabbit hole and are just far more likely to do business with you without it requiring your time on a one-on-one -on -one basis. It's yeah. a very powerful exercise. Yeah, no, I love it, man. I agree completely. Uh, that's something that I will definitely take because uh, I agree and I think it'd be great. So let me ask you this. Um, that you know you obviously have a pretty technical understanding of what you're doing in real estate and the way you view things like bringing up cap rates and interest rates uh, and stuff like that like you, you're studying it you're understanding the fundamentals uh, i got my master's degree in real estate from texas a&m and did that oh, for great. a few years you're like calculating irrs and mpvs and all this stuff and like it's not my style um but i get the value and it's it's needed but um from what I understand, you were used to be a poker player and um, you did a little, uh, you know, 
you like the UFC business. And what, what's interesting to me is there's a component, like I brought up the technical side, but then there's this like risk side. And like, I lean heavily on the risk taking. And I'm curious, like, how you view real estate and business um, in that sense, right? Like you find the fundamentals, you study it, but then like, I've only seen, you got to just get out there and, and take action and, and take risk. And like, it's, you got to weigh it. I, I fault, fault on the risk side um, saying like, just go get started. Like quit thinking about it so much, you know, just because I see people two, three, four, five, six years in, it's like, damn, man, even if you would have lost money, you would be further ahead. <laughs> You know, so I'm just curious yeah. how you view that, uh, having that poker background. But I just feel like you got to be a risk taker in this business uh, in some ways. But, you know, educate me on how you, you view all that. Sure. So I actually, um, the name of my company is ASIM and it's short for asymmetric, right? So we're absolutely willing to take risks, but we're doing so on a, in a basis that's going to give our investors a disproportionate amount of return for the risk that we're incurring. And that's what savvy investors do. So, and, and I should just add, we also play within a predetermined risk profile so that it doesn't matter what the return profile is of certain risks, like certain types of investment risks. We're just not going to do it no matter what. So as an example, we've never done a development deal. If you gave me a development deal that you thought was a high likelihood of producing a 100% IRR, it's not going to happen, even though it would likely be asymmetric, just because that's not within the profile in which we play. Having just, said that, because yeah, I'm with you, I've, I've kind of stayed away from that. But like, if it was a thousand percent, would you still consider it? Or are you kind of like, like, no, this is a hard line. Forget about the numbers. Based yeah. on time. Good question. So there's a lot. I mean, we can go pretty far down this rabbit hole, but I'll give you kind of a, a simple version. I have a lot more going on than just looking at the investment on a risk-adjusted basis as well. And I'm very open about that with our investors. So like, I do want to view it on a risk-adjusted basis, obviously, but there's other things at stake. You know, there's other opportunities that may come. There's also brand recognition. So if we did a development deal, that may shift the way that we're positioned in the marketplace. Um, Similarly, if I recently invested in a crypto arbitrage opportunity personally, but I love the deal, but I was really kind of hesitant to make it available to our investor base and didn't because of the brand recognition. You know, if I was just getting started, I have nothing to lose and perhaps I would have, but I'm not. So, I mean, that's something else there. No, I fall. I mean, I get it completely. Like same thing for me, like I'm networking and, and, you know, maybe the value isn't in, you know, doing a deal immediately, but just them knowing of it. Like there's, there's a whole different component of you know there's a chess game going on uh, so correct. i totally understand what you're saying correct yeah and I'll, let me just add one other piece because it's actually important as well so you know we have not implemented a spray and pray type of strategy uh, we have been on the other side of that spectrum to some of our kind of quasi competitors in the crowdfunding business we are a private equity company that invests significantly in every single one of our deals And our compensation is almost exclusively tied to performance of the investments, meaning that if they don't perform, nobody's getting rich. So, I mean, nobody is, and we are certainly not getting rich if the deals don't make money. So that's a very different model than like a crowdfunding portal that simply is a Craigslist basically for real estate. You know, we, I'm personally one of the largest investors in each of our deals, if not the largest, and have by far the most to gain or lose 
if things go wrong. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is that we don't do a lot of deals. You know, we'll probably do four deals in 2021 and maybe five deals in 2022. Um, so the piece there is that we don't need that many relationships as well because that's the deal flow. So if we can have three partners that can provide us that level of deal flow, we don't need to go out kind of trying to find new partners all the time. We've got groups that we've been working with for years and had tremendous success with. And there's no reason, even if it is a good deal on paper, we've learned that that deal that's on paper is inconsequential compared to what the key decision makers are going to do when things go sideways. Because every single deal doesn't go to pro forma. It's either above or below. And right. so what happens in between is what really matters. Yeah. I get it, man. That's super cool. You know, fit, fit in that box, stay disciplined. And you know, it's a, it's a different approach, but it obviously works and it's really good. I, I like that a lot. Um, I'm curious, you know, on the, on the negative side of things, like, been at this for a while, probably seen a lot. What are some of the, the hard lessons that you may have learned or um, things that just made you get better? Like, like what, are you, what are you looking out for that has happened? Like, never do that again, or you know, even mm. if someone else that you saw. You know what? I'll tell a story that it's probably a little early to tell the story, so I can't say too much detail, but I'll give you, you know, some important takeaways. So there was an opportunity that we had that was struggling and had struggled for years and we elected to exit the deal prior to it become going full cycle basically to sell our interest in the deal and uh, this was done with a tremendous amount of care um talking to a board of advisors talking to of our competitors and just taking this deal very very seriously in terms of how we navigated this and we felt like it was in our investors best interest to to do this and it's a really headache it took a lot of time and um and did not produce a favorable return because we're selling early basically i mean it returned investor capital but not much more than that but in doing so we incurred a, a risk which was that maybe the moment we sold things would turn around at the property and then whoever bought our shares would have a really favorable return and that's what exactly would happen and um, without going into too much detail, I would have done the exact same thing again if I had the opportunity to today. And here's why. Nothing is more important than returning investor capital and keeping it safe, mm -hmm. including us getting embarrassed or having this. Look, we've done like dozens and dozens of deals. I've been involved in hundreds of properties across more than $150 million worth of real estate. So anyone that's done what I've done is going to have some weird deals that go sideways. Uh, we've never lost investor capital, but this is a really tough one to deal with, not because of how it played out, but because of it's kind of embarrassing. But our reputation even isn't as important as ensuring that investors are kept safe. Mm -hmm. So as an example, we could have said, let, the, let it run. Let's see what happens because we only make money if they actually hit the pref. So all of our interests economically are to just see what happens. But everything we do is about protecting investor capital first. And we proved that over that year. Now, of course, it's not fun if you do you know, find out that ended up happening. But like I said, with the information we had at the time, I would have done it again. So um, yeah, it's a tough, there's not a ton to learn there, but except for that feeling. I never felt that feeling before. I always felt like, oh, our reputation is the most important thing. Our reputation. No, I will sell my reputation as long as I think I'm doing the right thing for our investors. That's cool. I mean, yeah, I think that, that there's a 
big takeaway there because um, you run into dilemmas like that within the business world where it's like, what do I do? And, and it's like you kind of a lot of times I feel like you clearly know what you should do, uh, which is the right thing. And then you're like, well, there's money. Like, let's take the risk. Let's do that. And so you made the right decision uh, regardless 100%. based on what you knew at the time. So a hundred percent, you've got to look, the reason we're having this conversation about risk adjusted returns is because we have to view the world through probabilistic outcomes. We, it doesn't go like that every single time, you know, but if you have a small sample size, if you have heads versus tails and you say it's going to be 50, 50 each one, no, it's not. If you only run it once, it's going to be a hundred zero. So you can't be um, results based. You have to view the world through these probabilities based on your information, which is always limited. And now we're talking in terms that I'm much more familiar with in poker. You know, there's a concept in poker, which is called pot odds, which I think is a really a simple calculation that can be applied to real estate for sure. So um, for people that aren't familiar, pot odds are basically the implied odds of things going your way versus like a, a bet or a proposed bet. So in a situation when there's $100 in the pot and someone bets $20 and you know that you're going to win 30% of the time if the right card comes, you should call that bet because the implied odds are such that it's more favorable to incur that additional 20% of the risk because over the long term, you're going to get a 30% type of outcome. It's this concept called expected value. My expected value is I'll win 30% of the time, but the bet is only 20%. So I want to do that every single time. If I get a situation where I know that I'm going to win 30% of the pot and I only have to put up 20% to win it, I will do that every single time. But what ends up happening if you watch poker on TV, you know, the guy's looking for the flush draw. The guy always gets, oh, spade on the river. He's so unlucky and he goes home to the family and cries. But that's the result. It has nothing to do with the long-term expected value. So that's how we view the investment space as well. And just for context, you yeah, know, we play in the, yeah, uh, just for context, we play in the value add to stabilized um, space. So you're not really supposed to be making many decisions that are like life and death. Yeah. Um, this is just the nature of, of the investment world. Yeah. And uh, I had a, you know, I used to be a huge gambler. I haven't done it in a long, long time. Like it was a problem. And now mm -hmm. I just like take risk on real estate, what I know, but, uh, since we're talking about this, I just want to kind of bring these things up. It's, it's pretty interesting. Like, uh, I don't know how much it applies, but it's, I'd love to hear your take on this. I, I sat down and I was playing war and it was like, you know, what, who's got the highest card. And I did this in Vegas and, and it was just like, I'd bet a little more than double every time. Like I, I bet $5, I'd, then I bet 15, then I bet 50. And it was like, I have to lose seven times in a row to not make $10. And I just sat there and I, I would just win like $60 an hour uh, because of those odds were like that. Um, and then, you know, this is just, you'll just kind of find this funny. I think my brother's a massive USC guy. Like he watches every fight and like one or two times a year, he's like, I got a lock. And he's like, I know the winner and he's never been wrong. And eventually he will be wrong. Uh, but like every one of these fights, like he, he was calling that Khabib McGregor fight for a year. He's like, this is so obvious. Take Khabib. <laughs> And it's like when you're uh, – and that's just back to like you, you know your craft. Like he watches every fight. He watches the technicals. And then it's trying to find that balance of like I've studied this. I know this. Well, then I got to go take the chance. Just like when you're looking at these deals, right? Like they're never 100% right. Like the one that you pulled out of. I'm, I'm sure you did all the right due diligence. I'd actually be curious if 
if there was a learning point of something that you could have done different on the front side to know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, is there something you missed that led to that situation? Was there a learning point there or uh, you just took that risk and it just didn't work out? All right, guys, let's talk about today's sponsor. Glenn LeBlanc and Supreme Lending have been serving the Austin market for 20 plus years. They are a local lender with in-house underwriting, so you're kept in the loop every step of the way. Whether you're doing a cash out for home repairs or a first time home buyer, Glenn makes the lending process smooth and easy to navigate. Always available and able to educate buyers along the way. Choose a local lender when buying your next home. Call 512-672-9472 anytime. And if you say you heard this ad on our podcast, Glenn will refund your appraisal if you use him. Definitely reach out to Glenn. Glenn is a personal friend of ours. The link to his website is in the description below. Now back to the episode. So if it's okay with you, I'll go back to the gambling thing because it's a really important kind of lesson. And I've definitely implemented, I've done some like, just kind of go to Vegas, have fun, you know, win or lose a hundred bucks or maybe even a thousand, but it's, it's not really going to change my life. But what you're talking about though, um, is a potentially very powerful concept, not to go too down the path, but I just want to kind of yeah, I love it. I flex love- our muscle because we're having the conversation. So um, what you're referring to is kind of this strategy where people double their bets every time they lose and go back down to the minimum every time they win. And if you have an infinite bankroll, you'll always make money. Yes. But there's two things that happens. Number one, you don't have an infinite bankroll. Number two, the Vegas uh, kind of floor men, they're hip to this. So they have maximums on these bets. Right. So even if, so here's how it typically works. Like That's if you go to work. Seven times, because like after seven times, I, that was at the max bet and it started at yep, five. I was just about to say, yeah. yeah, seven times. I didn't really get it. So let's say um, you have a five minimum and a 500 maximum. Usually it takes somewhere around seven or eight times to get to the max if you do that. And so if you look at that like 0.5 um, raised to the power of eight, let's say, you look at it and you have about a 0.3 or 0.4% shot of that happening. 0.4 is very, very low. So what that means is that you could go in and if you start a series, the likelihood that you'll do it on that first series is almost nothing. But if you sit there hour after hour, every time you start one of those series is you're running it. Yeah. So the, the series starts. So if you sit there and play for long enough, you're going to hit it. Yeah. And, and I have actually hit it. <laughs> I have actually done that same thing and gone from five to three twenty by losing whatever it was eight in a row. Right. Um, just because, you know, whatever it's fun to do, but, um, you learn a lot about yourself doing stuff like that because it's a very different experience to say that you could simply double it every time. But when it gets to 160 slash 320 and you start having concerns, it's a very different experience. Um, But again, that's just like something to do for fun, like to learn about yourself, to learn about the way you think about money. I grew up, you know, in college, that was my summer job basically. So I always kind of thought about money as just like chips, you know, later in life, freedom points. These are just kind of tokens, but um, that's how you think about it. Like, and I think thinking about that can sound like, oh, you don't take this seriously. From my perspective, it's the only way to view it accurately, right? So I don't do things like go to the, the freaking war table and try to double my money every time with investor capital, but I try to make decisions unemotionally with the understanding being that. If I can understand that the, like a great example of this is a sensitivity analysis. 
if I can create a sensitivity analysis in real estate that I feel very comfortable with, and I know if we experience something really, really challenging, like a 2008 type of situation, and we can produce like a seven or 9% IRR, and on the upside is like a 17%, I'm comfortable with all of that, right? Like I'm willing to make those risks. I'll give you another example. You know, we just did a deal that is 98% occupied in a growing and robust market. The break-even occupancy is below 70%. We're talking about a 200-unit property. So from my perspective, the likelihood that this market, which is like 94% occupied, is going to experience you know, a 30% correction and therefore wouldn't be able to pay the debt service on the deal, I'm willing to take that risk and so are investors as well. Right. So that's just the way that I get comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. Putting all those factors together, knowing what you've done and your research and just taking that risk. Correct. I love it, man. So you are, uh, you're building this business. You're, you've got a good track record, makes it easy to, uh, you know, continue to raise capital in a sense from those people that you've done deals with. What are you looking for? Like, are like, you know, I, what I'm doing is like what I've realized over time. Cause I'm doing all these meetings. I'm having three to five coffee or lunches every day. And what I was like, is like, I've simplified it. I still have to refine it, but it's like, I'm looking for, uh, good people that you know can follow simple principles like i was saying earlier like just do what you say you're going to do follow up stay in touch work hard blah 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 um, i'm trying to figure out where are these people and how do we grow together like because i do five different things um even if i'm gonna help them like you know connect them with someone i know or this or that just plug in add value see what happens that's how that's what i'm doing yeah what are you looking for specifically um is it the deals is it the people is it employees to come help build your business is it all the above um or is it similar to what i'm doing too is like i'm just looking for real talent and i'm figuring out how to bring it in and uh utilize that for everyone's growth so on the asm capital side which by the way is available it's asymcapital.com and that's for like passive investors um you know, we're positioned as a capital placement agent for our strategic partners, meaning that we identify best in class operators in their various niches, their geographic locations, whatever their strategy is. Let's say senior living in Florida, for example, or mobile home parks in the Midwest. We've got operators that specialize in those niches. And then we place millions, tens of millions of dollars with those respective groups and they implement the business plan. So a lot of our value add is based on our relationships, our due diligence process, you know, our track record across multiple niches, not because I'm a jack of all trades. I have a very specific niche, which is identifying best in class operators yeah. and providing a diverse group of investment opportunities to our investors. Real quick, so, I want to stop you real quick because uh, the way I view this and I totally understand what you're doing and I, I think there's a tremendous value. Um, so, you're like these operators, they might be great operators and they might not be great capital raisers. So right. you also maybe allow them to just stop worrying about raising capital because that's got to be a huge part of the business and do what they do great. So in a sense, you're helping them to be better at what they do as well. Would, would that be accurate? Correct. That's exactly right. And it is a huge value add because it allows me to do what I do best or at least love to do, which is things like, you know, this interview, for example, talking to investors, interacting with investors and kind of conducting due diligence through the lens of a, a savvy passive investor, which I am to a large degree. 
And there's a lot of operators out there that wouldn't want to be on the podcast. They just want to implement the business plan. They want to be boots on the ground. And so there's a different skill set. You know, I prefer the marketing side of the business and like to talk to a lot of smart, savvy investors. Some people don't want to deal with that at all. So that's how we're positioned. And because of that, we have a very lean and mean team. It's not very laborious of a task to create a pretty robust marketing infrastructure, which is what we have. Right. So, um, you know, we have a team of four and everyone is a rock star. That's what's needed. You know, we have $150 million worth of real estate and a team of four. And we also have a side business, which is kind of our educational business as well. So for context, we have a mastermind for capital raisers that has a hundred members and it's not cheap. Okay. And so we have to satisfy those members. And so because of that, a lot of our, our labor is also dedicated to ensuring that they're having a good experience, creating content, doing, um, you know, outside speakers, paying those outside speakers, giving people swag, all of this stuff, you know, a team of four with the right four, it can go a long way. Yeah. So, you know, our, our next goal, now that we have the team in place, the next goal is to scale. You know, we raised close to $25 million in 2021. And with this infrastructure, I think we could double that in 2022 and not break the seams. So that's the goal. I love it. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I got a uh, partner, Alex, and, and like, there's just nothing like uh, finding these right people to, to work with. And they're hard to find. Um, yes. So imagine those four or, you know, the other three are pretty special and you're probably looking for, you know, fifth at all times, you know, a six, just because it's so, you can't like just find them. You kind of got to be like, you know what I mean? Um, there's special people that you consider like partners or just who you want in your arena or in the foxhole with you. Uh, so that's cool to hear that you got four, got one, uh, you know, a lot of good people as well, but like me and him strategizing and, and picking directions. And like, we're like, man, that's why I'm like looking for good people is we always need more help. Yep. So it's pretty cool strategy. Um, let me ask you this. You just recently got a, a pretty cool award, uh, two comma club. Yeah. Yeah. So that's for raise masters, which is our mastermind for capital raisers. And, um, we launched this with the intention. It's a $10,000 mastermind, or at least it was at the timing of this record. We're about to increase the price just for context, but it, it was a $10,000 mastermind. Um, and we launched it and the goal was to have like, you know, 10 people join and we just hit it right on all cylinders. Basically we did everything right and took our time and, you know, the book and the success of the book, which I think close to 10,000 people have purchased the book is just basically my life's work. So we have filled the industry up with a lot of people that know that when I give away my secrets, that it's like actually true. Yeah. Like you've read my book. There's no fluff. It's like literally, if you've ever read the book Traction, for example, we it's like- on Traction. Yeah, I love Traction. Our cool. whole, our so whole is operating on that model. Love it. So it's a very, that book is not like an easy read. It's an operating manual for your business. That's what I attempted to do for raising capital where it's like step one, this step two, this is not a fun read yeah. unless you're a nerd and you actually want to implement it. Like a textbook, so, you know, it's exactly, like exactly. So the success that that created and the level of fandom, and it's not like it's large. It's not like I'm a celebrity. It's nothing like that, but in a very small niche, I have a lot of people that are very appreciative of that work. Yeah. And so it built up a lot of uh, good faith. And so when we launched a $10,000 or $20,000 thing, 
you know, we sold 10 very quickly and then 35 and then a hundred within eight months. And, you know, we got the two comma club in eight months, which is pretty exciting. That's amazing, man. I love it. Well, Hey man, you know, we're almost at the hour. Uh, what I like to do at the end is kind of, uh, I know we've probably given a lot of good advice and good info here, but if you can think of a couple things like, you know, one liners or just important uh, concepts for entrepreneurs, you know, it's, I'm sure you get this. I think about it often. Like it's, it's hard at the very beginning because you don't really see how it works. You don't kind of get it all the time. But mm-hmm. Once you get it, it's just kind of like, you know, if it, like you make as much money, you grow as big as you want. It's just a factor of time. Right. Like, yes. I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd be a billionaire for sure. If I had all these years to live, cause I know what to do, <laughs> but you don't, you gotta, you gotta figure out time. And, and like, it's a struggle when you're getting started, especially in real estate, when, because it takes time and it's like, you could, and, and I just remember I was always thinking long-term and maybe that's the answer, but it was like six months, a year, God, close two deals. Like this is hard. Mm. We're just better and better and better. And like the thing that I try to figure out is how do you, how do you show that to someone or do they just have to go through it? But that's like my little rant, but like in theory, like what's your advice for those people getting started you have no money in your pocket. You're like, ah, I wish I had this and that. It's like, it doesn't matter. It takes time. Just go do it. You'll get there. But what do you, what do you tell these people? What are, what are concepts that were important to yourself? So I'd say that to the untrained eye, it's very difficult to see the difference between what you're doing and what people who are really successful are doing. So there's no need to put yourself at a further disadvantage to try to come up with your own strategy, right? So, and this is not a pitch, but I'm just using it as an example. There's a reason 100 people signed up for a mastermind in eight months. It's because they know that if there's someone with a playbook, especially if it's exactly what they want to do, that that investment is completely inconsequential if it saves three, five, seven years on their growth curve. Because what you're saying is, look, everyone that's listening to this right now is going to make a million dollars. But if it takes 30 years, no one's going to care and your goals are not going to be achieved. Mm-hmm. Right? So the goal is to expedite the time it takes to make that money. Yeah. And the easiest way that I've found that is through getting great mentors, getting coaches, and being interested and willing to invest in yourself. And by the way, this is not my perspective when I got started because... I was kind of mentored by people who were in the wake of the Great Recession, where there were so many coaches that had never coached, never done anything besides coached real estate. And they hadn't really done a lot of real estate deals. And so all the gurus of 2006 and 7, a lot of them weren't even closing transactions. So because of that, there's been this like pushback against the coaching side of the business, which I totally get and is warranted. And by the way, was part of that pushback. But that mindset slowed me down tremendously. You know, we just had a client that is a really smart person, um, you know, had a great job. She quit her job in seven months, like a multiple six-figure type of salary. And with the right playbook, with the right mentors, with the right templates, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You all, see, that's the frustrating thing. Anyone listening to this, you can do it but it doesn't matter. What matters is how quickly it, it can be done. Yeah. So, you know, money follows speed 
and execution. It does not follow complexity and perfection. So get out there, invest in yourself, find a mentor that you trust, and just go all in on their worldview. If you get stuck to a point where they went left when you want to go right, before you go right, find a mentor that went right and go that direction. And, and don't have like 30 mentors, right? Just go all in on one person's view. And if you get in that position, find someone else. Come on, man. I love it. That was great. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Um, what are ways people can get a hold of you? Um, what are ways maybe we or listeners can add value for you? Um, you know, what's best? Sure. So um, again, I appreciate the opportunity. So if you're interested in kind of learning more about the, the capital raising side of the business, um, I would highly suggest uh, getting my book at Raising Capital for Real Estate. And we have a free webinar, which is like where I give away like the updated version of all of that stuff. And that is raising capital for real estate forward slash never dash scramble. And that's also where we talk about our mastermind. And then if you're interested in the uh, passive side of investing, you can go to asymcapital.com. Cool, man. Well, Hunter, I appreciate your time, man. Love to stay in touch. Uh, thanks for all the wisdom and keep doing your thing, baby. Appreciate you. Happy to do it. <laughs>